Uh, we're continuing our series entitled Being a Person of Purpose. And I'm going to finish this series with another person of purpose. I'm going to finish uh, this by teaching on another person of purpose uh, next Sunday. And so I'll finish up the series next Sunday. Uh, we'll go into something new after that and the week after that. But our person of purpose today, uh, much of our time has been spent on Elisha. But today we're going to do one day study on Nehemiah. And the title of today's study is Maintaining Your Purpose in times of discouragement. Like I often like to say, you're not here by accident. I believe you're here by divine appointment. You're either watching online by divine appointment, or you're in Claremont or Montana, or at one of the venue at 1111, or here. You're, you're here by divine appointment, that there's some area in your life where you're discouraged uh, this morning. And God wanted you here to hear this message. Or there's something God has called you to do, and you're partway through it, and now discouragement has set in. And so that's why God called you here, in order to encourage you. Our new mission statement uh, that we introduced here in 2013, I've been doing many series, as you'll notice, with the term purpose in it. Our our new mission statement uh, is finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. That is, you discover your purpose in Christ, and then you carry it out and you refine it in community with other believers, but you also sustain it in community with other believers, for the journey. The only thing that helps you continue for the journey is to stay encouraged. Satan's favorite tool, uh, or one of his favorite tools, is discouragement. Does anybody want to say amen to that? That is the thing that Satan loves to use to discourage you, to keep you from carrying out God's purpose in and through you for the journey. And that's why Nehemiah chapter 4 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, because it gives in very practical ways, ways to deal with uh, discouragement in fulfilling the purpose that God has given to you. Let's get a little back background uh, to the story of Nehemiah. We're going to put the map up there, and you'll see this map here. Um, I asked a, a couple of um, uh, young ladies before the service uh, began, what color is that? And they said mauve. Okay, so if you look at the mauve, all right, I never would have thought of that. Um, uh, Mav, that is the Assyrian Empire. And so that's the one that was the major world power in today, what is today the nation of Iraq. And they crushed the northern part of Israel, Israel in 722 BC. Then the Babylonians took over. And that's more the dashes, as you see the extension of it, the dashes around there, the bigger area, that's the Babylonians. And they took over from the Assyrians. And they crushed in 586 BC the southern part of Israel called Judah and destroyed the nation or the city of Jerusalem. And then what I don't have on there, the Persians took over. And that is what is today the nation of Iran. And you can't just see it uh, to the right there or, or to the east, but that would be Susa, that its capital. And so in 460 uh, BC, this is the story of Esther. Uh, and that's where you get that story with that deals with the king Xerxes. But then his successor was Artaxerxes. Now we're in 445 BC. And Artaxerxes is who gave Nehemiah permission to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Let me ask you a question. What is a wall that God has called you to build? Some ministry, something that God has called you to do? Or is there a wall in your life that was built, it got destroyed, and now God has called on you to rebuild that wall? What is the wall that he's called you to do? 
and discouragement has set in. That's why you're here this morning, because God wants to speak to you about the discouragement you have in either rebuilding that wall or building that wall. Now, what are the causes of discouragement? First of all, uh, criticism. Verse one, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Most likely the stones were limestone. And so when the Babylonians destroyed the walls and burned them, this limestone would have cracked and it would have disintegrated. Will they be able to bring life back to these uh, stones that have been burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what they are building if even a fox climbed up on it, as light as a fox is on foot, one solitary fox, as light as that fox is, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. Now notice what Nehemiah does. He, what he doesn't do, first of all, he doesn't take personal revenge. I, I would have, you know, smacked these guys in the mouth or wanted to at least. Uh, I would have, you know, wanted to take a sword and, and uh, you know, deal with it in that way. But instead, he calls on God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He calls on God to step in and to bring justice to this. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. He doesn't take personal revenge. He turns it over to God. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Isn't that an interesting thing about criticism? And you've heard me say this before, but it's just so true that you'll do a presentation at work or you'll uh, do a presentation at school or you'll do anything. And 10 people will come up and tell you how much they appreciate it. 10 people will tell you the good things that you did. And one person will criticize you. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about when you go to bed that night? You're thinking about that one, aren't you? I mean, all, all those people could have said positive things, but it's that one critic, that, that's what you think about. And so it's a discipline to not dwell on that one. Now, now, if it's constructive criticism, you take it to heart. And you say, okay, what can I learn from this? And even if it's destructive criticism, you know, non-constructive criticism uh, that comes from other motivations rather than helping you, there's still always a kernel of truth. I'm always amazed and how some people, even if they do it for wrong motives, you can still learn something. A broke clock is still right twice a day, you know? And so you can still get something from that. And if it's constructive criticism, you can get a great deal from it. But not to focus on that, to discipline yourself, to focus on the encouragement rather than on uh, the, the destructive or even the constructive criticism. Now we come to number two, the halfway syndrome. And you've heard me talk about this before. That it's halfway through anything that discouragement sets in. Um, when I, you know, it's so funny, I'm, I'm doing a kind of a, a, Kimberly calls it pathetic midlife male uh, syndrome, okay? And I've been in dialogue with some of my old track buddies because 40 years ago this month, uh, our, our track team, we were 0-7 my sophomore year and completely turned it around, went undefeated the next year and four of the seven meets were decided in the final event, the mile relay and the anchor to that mile relay has now been for 30 years the head track coach at Westmont up here in Santa Barbara. 
And uh, my buddy up there, is, he's been there like forever. And he was the anchor. And four out of the seven meets were decided in the anchor of the mile relay, the final event. So we've been swapping newspaper articles from 40 years ago. Do you remember what you were doing 40 pounds? I mean, 40 years ago. Do you remember uh, what, what you were doing? Uh, but, but it's that halfway through the mile. That's when you get discouraged. It's got four laps to it. The first one you're encouraged because you just started, you're fresh. The second one you're encouraged because you're fresh. The last one is the last one. So you're encouraged. It's that third lap. That's the one that'll get you in your mile time. It's that third lap. You gotta, you gotta watch that one. Uh, when I was, um, in seminary at Gordon Conwell near Boston, I coached cross country while I was in seminary at Gordon College, which is just a couple of miles uh, from the seminary. And it was a five-mile course at that time. So where would I put myself on that course as a coach? Wouldn't put myself at the beginning because my runners were encouraged. I wouldn't put myself at the end because they could see the finish line. They were encouraged. I put myself between mile two and mile three because that's when discouragement would set in, the halfway syndrome. It says in verse six, so we rebuilt the wall till all that reached half of its height for the people worked with all their heart. Half of its height and that's when they get discouraged. It's halfway through that project at work. It's halfway through that uh, degree at school. It's halfway through that recovery from an addiction. It's halfway through rebuilding your marriage or rebuilding any uh, relationship. It's like if you've been hiking and you hike in the mountains and you get over what I call a false peak or a false ridge and you get over that ridge and you think you're at the top of the mountain, and then you realize there's another whole one yet to go. You get to that top, I'm at the top, and then, ah, oh, man, this is not really the top. The top is there, not here. Uh, in the musical uh, Les Miserables, Jean Valjean um, gets out of 19 years in prison. And, you know, he thinks, I'm free, it's done. But as so many people, I was talking to a young man that had just gotten out of seven years in prison that was here last Sunday, and, and you realize that the rebuilding is just about halfway done. And he was doing terrifically and had come to Christ in prison and, and uh, just God had turned his life around. But, you know, he was in the process of rebuilding that relationship with the family that he was separated from for seven years. And so you get out of prison and you think, I'm free. And then you realize, no, it's about halfway through that rehabilitation, that process of ultimately gaining your freedom. Number three, opposition. Verse seven. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love that balance. They prayed to God, but they still posted a guard. Okay, like Ronald Reagan used to say in the midst of negotiations with the Soviet Union uh, over nuclear arms proliferation, and he said, trust but verify. Okay, trust but still verify. And so that's what Nehemiah did. Pray, but still post a guard. Pray as if it all depends upon God. Work as if it all depends upon you. There's a verse that I pray almost every Sunday morning before we come in here. It's Proverbs 21, verse 31. You might want to write that down. Proverbs 21, verse 31. The horse is made ready for battle, but victory comes from the Lord. 
And I, I'm always ta- cha- you know, challenging us as a, as a staff and as, as people when we're planning a service or anything that we're doing. The horse is made ready for battle. Prepare that horse for battle. But then pray as if it all depends upon God, because it does. But victory comes from the Lord. We have another little saying that we joke about here, that before the worship service begins, uh, before the project begins, we are Old Testament. We're an Old Testament church. You analyze it all. You wrestle over it. You say, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. You prepare. Soon as the worship service begins, as soon as the event at church begins, we become New Testament grace and not Old Testament any longer. And whatever happens, the Holy Spirit takes over, and even the things that don't go as planned, God can use every bit as much, if not more so, than those things that do go as planned. But then as soon as the service is over, as soon as the event is over, we go back to being Old Testament again and reevaluate once again. And so it says, we prayed to our God. It all depends on God. But we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Work as if it all depends upon you. And now we see a spiral in the number four, five, six, and seven. First is the loss of strength, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. Um, they're, They're tired. One of the things that feeds discouragement the most is lack of sleep. You know, one of the best takeaways you can have from this message today is go home and get 12 hours sleep tonight. You're like, oh man, this is a message I can get a hold of. Here, here's something I can put. You, you know, you just tell your family, I'm going to bed at six and not getting up till six the next morning. One of the most spiritual things you can do to fight discouragement is get 12 hours of sleep. Just sleep because lack of sleep feeds discouragement. You know how I've told you many times before that my mom's solution to everything in life was to go take a nap. Everything. Got a fighting with your sister? Go take a nap. Feel like dropping out of school? Go take a nap. Uh, don't, don't like something that's going on in your life? Go take a nap. Her solution to everything was uh, go take a nap. And, and that's very biblical. That's, that's very appropriate, very practical. Now, the loss of strength leads to the loss of vision. Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the labors is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Do you ever lose your vision because of rubble? Yesterday you got up saying, I'm going to clean that garage today. And you swung open the door and there was so much rubble, you say, I cannot rebuild the wall. You got up yesterday morning, you said, I'm going to clean that closet. Today's the day I'm going to clean the closet. You swung the door open, there's so much rubble, uh, I will never rebuild uh, the wall. So they lose their vision. Next page of your study outline, you see the spiral going down. There's a loss of confidence, verse 11. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And then number seven, it leads to negative thinking, verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. This is a Hebrew idiom for again and again. They told us again and again, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So they're caught with the wall halfway up. And this is what we call the fog of discouragement. It's when you can't see your end goal anymore. You can't see, you've lost your vision. We've lost our vision because of the fog of discouragement. Psalm 42, the psalmist was caught in the fog of discouragement. And we don't exactly know the historical background to Psalm 42. But we believe the leading candidate is during this time period in history, when Israel was in exile. And they were discouraged because here they are in exile. 
hundreds of miles away from home. Their city is destroyed, Jerusalem. The walls are broken down. And so Psalm 42, we believe the best candidate for the historical context is that particular situation when the psalmist is dealing with the fog of discouragement. God called you here this morning because you're right there in the fog of discouragement. Or maybe he called you for somebody else that you're going to talk to this week. Uh, Somebody else is going through that fog of discouragement. And something you take away from God's word this morning, just be looking for that person this week, that person that is caught in the fog of discouragement. And one thing you're going to be able to take away from God's word, the Holy Spirit's going to lay it on your heart, share it with that particular person to bring them out of their fog. Or it's for you to come out of your fog and rebuild the wall uh, beyond the midway point to finishing what God has called you to do. The cure for discouragement. First of all, he united the people around the same vision. He reorganizes them and he does it around people that can encourage them. It says in verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places. Okay, that's the most vulnerable spot. So he reorganizes them to strengthen the protection against those vulnerable places that were low and that were exposed. Posting them by families with their swords, interesting little just factoid, um, I studied this week, they said that the sword is the most common weapon mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, swords are mentioned 407 times in the Old Testament. It has nothing to do with the message. I just thought that was something you could impress your friends with uh, over lunch or whatever. With their swords, spears, and bows. So what does he do? First of all, he reorganizes them uh, strategically. You see Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. It means if you're whacking away at a tree with a dull axe, it behooves us to take a little bit of time to stop, sharpen the axe, and then go back to cutting the tree once again. Uh, My dad, the second half of his life, was the president of a lumber company, but the first half of his life, he was a forester. And so he just loved logging, did it in Burma all through World War II and was a forester up until the age of 40. And then he became uh, the president of this company. But even after he got into the business world, our hobby as a family was logging. And I'm telling you, I really did not care for that as a teenager. You know, I thought, you know, other families, their hobby is camping or, or dirt biking or, you know, ASO soccer. Our family's hobby was logging. Now, those of you in Montana are like, oh, what's wrong with that? That's a, that's a great family hobby. That, that sounds fantastic. But uh, that was my dad's idea of a good, fun day, was cutting down trees and pulling the tractor up and wrapping the chain around it and connecting it to the tractor, dragging it out of the woods, or trimming trees. He, he loved that. And so I'd spend hours on a Saturday just in a p- grove of pines, uh, trimming the lower branches so they go. Now, i tell you, the beauty of that is 40 years later, I made some serious money when we harvested that timber. And I was thinking back, boy, talk about reap what you sow. I'm like, boy, I can't believe that all the times I would sit there trimming these trees as a 16-year-old just going, this is stupid. I could be doing so many other things. My friends are all having fun, and I'm out here doing this. Oh, my goodness, it paid off in my 50s, uh, big time. But at any rate, the whole point here is reorganize. Stop cutting the tree, sharpen your axe, come back again. Now, notice he posts them by families, by family or friendship team units. Why did he do this? 
because we fulfill our purpose, we find our purpose in Christ, then we fulfill it in community, and the community is what keeps us going and moving beyond the fog of discouragement for the journey. It's, it's, it's like a campfire. One log gets to the side and the fire goes out on it. You just pick up that log, you put it on the ones that are burning, and it rekindles once again. And then maybe one of the other, those logs, gets to the side and it loses its fire. But you pick it up and you put it with the other ones that are burning and it rekindles. I mean, that's the whole point of small groups. And I would encourage you as we move towards summer, uh, Memorial Day is kind of the launch to the summer. And even though summer is very, very busy, I, I know it's amazing how summer is, especially at our church, is just getting busier and busier. It feels very much like the rest of the year as well. But I think we'd all agree that sometimes we have a tad more discretionary time during the summer that we don't have. Well, maybe the summer is a time to try out a small group, a Sunday school class, or a Bible study group, or a support group. You get that Connect brochure out uh, there, and you pull that out. That's right there in your book rack in front of you. You pull it out. Hundred different ways to connect with other people in a small group, uh, or if you're in Montana, uh, talk to uh, Pastor Mary or, or, or to Rick and, and and talk to them about finding a way to connect with a Bible study. Because it is in those small groups that's when we're posted by families, um, when we're posted by friendship or affinity groups. That's when we stay encouraged in community. Uh, in Christ, in community, for the journey. That's when we're able to continue the journey if we stay encouraged. And then number two, he directed their attention from their problems to the Lord. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Uh, That's what worship is all about. That's why, again, as we enter into summer, stay regular in worship. You need that. We, I need that week by week. And you've heard me say this many times before, but when I walk in here on a Sunday morning, my problems are this big and God is this big. And by the time I walk out and I've worshiped and I've heard the choir sing or the music group sing or I sing a hymn or I sing a praise chorus, all of a sudden God goes from being this big to being this big. And by comparison, my problems go from being this big down to this big. It happens in your daily quiet time. Again, summer, do you have an extra 15 minutes a day in your summer schedule? I bet you do. I bet in the summer you have an, an extra 15 minutes a day. This could be the summer. You start a habit. You get a hold of one of our Bible reading plans back at the resource center, and you pull that out, and you start that habit of 15 minutes, because you know what happens every day when I read my Bible in my quiet time. I start, my problems are this big, and God is this big. By the time I finish Focusing on God's word, getting my attention off of my problems, onto God's word. All of a sudden, when I finish my quiet time, my, my God is this big, and by comparison, my problems are smaller. And so he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then remember what you're fighting for. R- remember your, what you saw. Don't, don't doubt in the darkness what you saw so clearly in the light. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Why are you trying to fulfill God's purpose in your life? You're doing it for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You're doing it for your oikos. You're fulfilling God's purpose in your life for your family and and, and for your oikos. Remember why you're doing it. Isaiah 40, verse 12. I've mentioned a hundred times how every night before I go to bed, 
I, I, I try to go out and look at the stars and just take my problems and put them onto God and compared to the God of the universe that created that, holds it all together, keeps it running, my problems seem small by comparison. Isaiah 40, verse 12, who has measured the waters into the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? And then number three, he encouraged them to keep their balance. When you get discouraged, we tend to go to, to extremes. We tend to get out of balance. Um, when I'm discouraged, I watch too much TV. I sleep too much. Sometimes I work too much. And so he gives them a balance between fighting and working. Some of them wanted to, you know, stop the work and just go fight their enemies. And others of them said, let's just trust God with the fighting part and just devote ourselves to the work and God will take care of us. So he balances between the two. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Or possibly in the Hebrew, it just means that they kept their weapons close. They, They may not have done that balancing act. They may have just kept the weapons close there as they did their work. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. That leads to number four. He gave them a plan for their defense. He kept them connected with other people. That's how we overcome discouragement. We stay connected with other people. Verse 19, then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and it's spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there and our God will fight for us. Now, it's a little unclear. It could mean there's just one trumpeter next to Nehemiah, or it could mean a system of trumpeters. And so they would be spaced out. And so when they would hear Nehemiah's trumpeter, they would trumpet, the other one would trumpet, the other one would trumpet. And so the word would get out that we've got trouble. Uh, Josephus, the great uh, Jewish historian from the time of Jesus, said that the trumpeters were spaced out every 500 feet. There was a, a system of trumpeters who would carry the message around the city so they could gather that, to that point um, to defend themselves. And then number five, he involved them in serving others. And the best way to deal with discouragement is just to serve other people. Uh, get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the needs of others. It says in verse 21, so we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve us as guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. One other thing, this summer... Again, as we're approaching Memorial Day, which is the launch of summer, do you have a little bit of discretionary time? And maybe you find a place to serve. You take that Connect brochure out, and, and you, you, find, um, you find a place to serve. You, you say, is there something I can do of service, either inside the church or outside the church, just for the summer? Just, just for the summer. Could, could you do a service thing just for the summer? And, and maybe you'll find that it's so fulfilling that you develop a habit. But the summer is a great time 
If you're not having a quiet time, start one. If you're not serving, find a spot to serve. If you're not in a small group, find a place to be connected in a small group. If you're not having a quiet time, start one um, this summer so that we move, we discover God's purpose, we fulfill it, and we keep it burning in community, and that enables us to fulfill it for the journey. Lord, I pray for each person here that is uh, dealing with discouragement in some area of their life. And I pray that something from your word today would be an encouragement to them. And then, Lord, for that person that we're going to run into this week, um, we're, we're not here by accident. Everything we carry with it, we carry uh, from your word for ourselves, and then we carry it for somebody. And the Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to have our antenna up that when we see that person that's discouraged this week, you'll bring to mind something from this message and you will use us to help them get beyond the fog of discouragement, even as your word this morning, I pray, will help us to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.